0: Good morning. Good to be back with you from Ridgeland, Mississippi, and to celebrate this Lord's Day together. I won't be with you come Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, and so I want to go ahead and wish you and all of yours a happy Thanksgiving. The celebration of Thanksgiving, of course, we all know is a very unique Uh, has been a special, special, significant uh, matter in American history ever since, really, the pilgrims set foot on Plymouth Rock 400 years ago, 2021, June of 20, spring of 2021. 168 years later. The Congress of this new found nation of America passed a resolution and they directed our first president, George Washington, to establish a national holiday called Thanksgiving Day. And this is what he said in that first uh, address He said that we may then all unite. In tendering unto him, that is God, our sincere and humble thanks for the signal and manifold mercies, the favorable impositions of his providence. But here we are in the 21st century, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and our current consumer driven economy. Thanksgiving kicks off the shop and spin season that lasts until Christmas and then comes New Year's Day when the bills all come due. True thanksgiving, I believe, seems to have totally lost its original meaning. The giving of thanks is one thing that separates animals from human beings. And then among human beings... It separates the, uh, the givers from the getters, the greedy from the grateful. The Apostle Paul was describing the ungrateful Gentiles in his day in this way. Their foolish hearts were darkened. For although they know God, they did not honor Him as God or give Thanks to him. And then Paul predicted in the Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said that in the last days perilous times will come. People will be unthankful. I think we're there. What about you? The cartoon character Bart Simpson reflects, I think, the view of a lot of people in our day in our society when he prayed on turkey day he was asked by his family to pray and so he says God this is our food we bought it we paid for it we prepared it thanks for nothing but you see the Bible teaches us that thanksgiving is an acknowledgement that we have been given gracious gifts from a generous, bountiful benefactor. Things that we didn't earn, things that we don't deserve. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15. He said because of the surpassing grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift, His incomparable unsurpassing gift in that context that he's talking about is Jesus he said we know the grace of God how that though Jesus was rich he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich and then he commanded in Colossians 3 and verse 17 and whatsoever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then he urged in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. Be joyful always. We talked about that in the adult Bible class here this morning. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And concerning me. Now. Although Thanksgiving Day appears on our calendars only one time a year, I believe thanks living should be should last 365 days a year. How about you? And so I want to talk about that this morning. I hope that you will realize that as I share with you some traits that are found of of of, of, of true. Thanks, living, that are found in Psalm 131. So, if you have your Old Testaments, turn over there to Psalm 131. We're going to kind of park on that Psalm this morning, and I'm going to try to unpack those three small verses. And here's what David said: "Oh Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor is." mine eyes lifted up, neither have I exercised myself or occupied myself in great matters, things that are too high for me surely i have I have uh, exercised my i have I have uh, made myself i have I have behaved myself I have Cause myself to be uh, quiet. I have quieted myself. As a child is weaned of his mother, my soul is as a weaned child. O Israel, hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. One of the great Preachers of the past was Charles Spurgeon. And on Psalm 131, he said it's one of the shortest to read, it's one of the longest to learn. I think he was right. I would say it's one of the easiest to read, and yet it's one of the hardest to learn. It's ascribed to King David, and it's called a psalm of accent. There are a number of those psalms of accents, and it's, and it's called that because its purpose was to accentuate thankful worship uh, to the Most High God. Now, the word thanks does not occur in this psalm or thanksgiving, and yet the trait of thanksgiving uh, is there everywhere. This little psalm is pregnant with the traits of thanksgiving. I want to give us just three. Are you ready? First of all, a humble heart. A humble heart. Oh Lord, my heart is not haughty. It's not proud. I'm not lifted up in my spirit. I have occupied, I I do not occupy myself with great matters, things that are too high for me. What does he say? He's giving thanksgiving to God for his humble heart. Now, uh, the way David begins there, it, it. it may seem like he's bragging about his humility. Anybody here like country singing? Louisiana folks like country singing. How about Mac Davis? Y'all remember Mac Davis? When he said, it's hard to be what? Humble when you're perfect in every way. Is that what David is saying? Jack Exum was one of my favorite preachers of the past. He spoke to youth rallies all over the South. And one of his favorite sermons and one of his most asked for sermons dealt with humility. And he said, humility is something that if you admit you're humble, you aren't, and if you think you have it, you've lost it. It's a tricky trait. But rather than boasting of his humbleness, actually David is boldly rejecting haughtiness. The message renders it this way. I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. We understand that language, don't we? So what has David done here? He has dismounted his royal high horse. He's renounced the typical kingly almighty attitude. He's replaced it with a self-imposed meek and lowly servant style attitude of gratitude. David knew that to step up in being a man after God's own heart. He was going to have to set aside pridefulness. He was going to have to stoop down in humbleness to do the will of God. What about you this morning? I think James echoes the sentiments of this trait of thanksgiving in Psalm 131 in James chapter 4. Listen to him in verse 6. God resisteth the proud. He gives grace to to who? The church. The humble. He says that we are to uh, submit ourselves therefore to, 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 to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, he says. Cleanse your hands, ye double-minded, you sinners. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God in the sight of the Lord And he will lift you up. And so David has experienced that. I think about our society. It doesn't salute the poor in spirit. It doesn't give merit badges and medals of honor to those who have humble hearts. From the moment we're born, we're urged and trained to get ahead, to climb the ladder of success, to to look out for number one, to win through intimidation, to show our social status by the amount of money that we make, maybe the model of car that we drive, the size of house that we own, or the particular neighborhood in which it is located, the showy jewelry, the stylish clothes we wear, the number of friends that we've got in high places. One person said, I hate the holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas because buying and giving gifts has become a game where our generosity is measured by how much we spend. Think about it. A sad commentary on our thankless culture. So what is David saying there in the second part of that first verse? When he says, I have... I, I, I have behaved myself. Uh, or rather, I have not uh, sought great matters. I, I, I have not looked for high things. I think the Living Bible says it real good in our modern vernacular. I don't pretend to be a know-it-all. David has has not lifted itself up with a lofty opinion of himself, thinking that he's better and above others. He did not snobbishly look down on people who weren't as smart and as rich and as gifted. Nor did he uh, uh, think that that there were things that he could always figure out. He, He understood that there are things beyond his capacity to understand. Or his ability to perform. I think about Jeremiah. What Jeremiah said to Baruch, his servant, his his scribe. He asked him the question, he says, do you seek great things for yourself? He said, don't seek them. For I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord, but I will give your life to you who prize as a prize in all places wherever you go. So we live in a society today where the trend is to talk about our unlimited potential. Unlimited potential. And the untapped resources from within. And all of that borders on humanistic thinking. The truth about the matter is, we are all finite, fragile, fallible human beings. We are extremely limited. Only when the omniscient, the all-wise, the omnipotent, all-powerful, Lord God, dwells in our hearts by faith, and we have humbly submitted our wills to His will, is nothing impossible for you. In my son room at the house, there's a plaque up on the wall. It's a beautiful uh, walnut plaque with gold letters. And it's the verse, Matthew 19, 26, with God all things are possible. I met a drunk several years ago in Effingham, Illinois. I was there in a gospel meeting. I came from a family of drunks. My father was an alcoholic and abusive to my mother. It would pain you as it would pain me to tell you the story of my childhood. My mother went through two other drunks. They all died. And so I had a terrible home life. And, and, and I shared a little bit of that story uh, at the beginning of that gospel meeting. And a lady came up to me in the foyer, and she said, My husband is an alcoholic. Would you come and talk to him? And so I went to his house and I talked to him. I shared with him my life. And the walls just began to come down and his heart began to soften. And I began to share with him the gospel. And and he came to the gospel meeting then. He came every night. That's when gospel meetings went from Sunday through Friday. <laughs> and so he got to hear the gospel several times. And before the meeting closed, he rendered obedience to the gospel. Years later, he was added as a deacon to the church. Years later, he was added as an elder to the church. Shortly after I returned home, I got a package in the mail. It was from him. And I opened it up. It was that walnut plaque. With God, all things are possible. And so a humble heart is so essential. It is a trait of thanks living. Secondly, there's a holy contentment. He says, as a child weaned from its mother, my soul is as a weaned child. I have behaved myself. I have quieted myself. The holy contentment. The message says, like a baby content in its mother's arms, My soul is as a baby content. Now Mary, the mother of our Lord, the earthly mother, she knew about that. When it tells us that Jesus became flesh, you need to picture in your mind Jesus as a little baby. A little infant, a little suckling child. Attached to Mary. Feeding from Mary's breast. Do you see that picture in your mind right now? There was a point in which Mary had to remove that from Jesus. As a little baby. Just like all mothers have to do that. And unless a mother weans that suckling child, the body is going to be stunted. Just going to be a big, small crybaby. The weaning process is... Extremely difficult for infants because they can't understand what's going on. They get impatient and they panic and they fight dramatically. They get agitated about giving up mother's milk. They restlessly resist and they rebel with all their might. But if a mother truly loves her baby, she won't stop, will she? Not until that job's fully done. And then when the weaning process is completed, the children finally submit and they no longer beg and crave for that which they once found indispensable because they no longer need it and they no longer desire it. That child calms down and gets quiet. And is content to move from milk to meat. Now do you get David's drift? To be weaned is to have something removed from your life that you thought you could not live without. And to begin to live with a holy contentment. Listen to Paul in Philippians 4. I have learned in whatsoever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then that scripture that we all know by heart, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Amen. And so, what is David saying in Psalm 131? When he says, I have behaved, I have calmed myself, I have quieted myself. As a baby that that is weaned from its mother, my soul is as a weaned baby, Lord. What does he say? What what does David mean here? Where the rubber meets the road. I've come to a place in my life where I am thankful That selfish gratification doesn't tug at my heart anymore. I found a higher, happier, healthier, holier life in serving the Lord that has given me a quietness and a calmness. In other words, a holy contentment that I have never known before. But now I am thoroughly thankful. Sadly, instead of being Weaned from the world. Too many people are wedded to the world. Or should I say, welded to the world. And what does John say in 1 John chapter 2? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, is not of God, it's of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world and all the lust thereof will pass away, but they that do the will of God abide forever. They'll experience a holy contentment. But you see, thankless hearts are anything but content and peaceful. They actually have an unholy discontentment. Because their satisfaction is based on a worldly standard. And in in that, when when your happiness is measured by how much you have of this world's goods, you'll never have enough. That's why Jesus said, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Have you ever thought to yourself, I would be happy if I just had a new car? Are you listening? I would be happy if I had a better paying job. I would be happy and content if I had a more stylish dress. I would be be content if I had a different husband (laughs) or a different wife or if I had a muscular body Or if I had a prettier face. I mean, you could just go on and on. And so, you're going to be frustrated and unfulfilled. And you're not going to be satisfied. And you're not going to be serene. No wonder Thanksgiving just whizzes on by and Christmas is a nightmare because many have and are living without a holy contentment. And then he... Describes thanks living as a hopeful trust. He starts out, Oh God," he concludes, "O oh Israel, hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever." David is urging God's people to follow his example. You see, you see, thanks living is a choice, and so David has chosen a life of hopeful trust in God. In Psalm 20 and verse 7, he says some trust in chariots and some in horses. We trust in the living God. Peter said in 1 Peter 21, your faith and your hope are in God. They're linked together, you see. Trust and hope. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he says there are three great traits. Faith, hope, love. Notice how those are all tied together. And so, what we need to understand is that David is expressing what Solomon had said. That hope is something that we wait expectantly and in confident anticipation. David is thankful that God's truthfulness is trustworthy and his faithfulness will never fail. It will never falter. And so he's totally trusting in God, placing his hope in him. And he says that in Proverbs, uh, Solomon says that in Proverbs chapter 3, when he says, trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. David's hope for the future is not like dropping off into a dream. Remember that? When you just kind of dropped off into a dream that you might wake up from and find out it's not real. His hope was not like taking a chance at gambling that God's way will eventually win out in the end but then maybe only to lose out. David's hope was not like a mere wish like writing a letter to Santa Claus of what you want him to bring you and then being disappointed that it's not under the tree on Christmas morning. And furthermore David's trust didn't last for just a brief A brief period of time. Like the short holiday season. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 19 speaks of that. Which hope we have as an anchor to the soul. Both sure and steadfast. That's the kind of hope we have. That's the kind of trustful hope that we're depending on. And so David's hope was like a ship's anchor to his soul. Continuing from this time forth and forever. And so brethren, our, our hope in, as God's children today is a confident expectation and anticipation that every day of our lives is going to be thanksgiving. Because our Heavenly Father is truthful. He cannot lie. And our Heavenly Father is faithful. He Always keeps his promises. Paul said concerning Abraham, the father of the faithful, that no unbelief, a lack of hopeful trust, made him waver concerning the promise of God. He grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do that which he promised. Romans chapter 4, 20 and 21. I'm going to ask you to sing a song with me this morning. Can I lead a song? Everybody stand up and lead. I'm going to lead you a song. You know it because it's a scripture song found in Lamentations chapter 3, 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord. Y'all know that song by heart, don't you? When this pandemic hit and I had to shelter myself, I was looking for something that I could study at home. And I decided to saturate my mind with the book of Lamentations written by uh, uh, Jeremiah. Following the destruction of Jerusalem when the Babylonians came and the Assyrians had already taken away the northern kingdom. And then the Babylonians came away and took away God's people to Judah. And here they're going away, hanging their hearts and weeping. And their city destroyed. Their temple is leveled. And there are five dirges in Lamentations. And the middle one, chapter 3, is really the key to this whole book of Lamentations and God's answer to Israel In her punishment and in her for her disobedience and her suffering. Sing it with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord sings my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Be seated, please. In the midst of World War II, the young men of America were in Europe dying like flies body bags were being sent back to mom and daddy and their children it was a terrible time in American history people were food was being rationed there was all kinds of upheaval and sadness and sorrow in this country. Hitler had invaded Italy and it looked like he was going to take the whole country and then had his eyes on Britain. And a woman who was a preacher's wife from Pennsylvania, her name was Ruth Jones, scribbled a few words on a piece of paper and eventually it was put to music. She had looked at those words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days, perilous times will come. People will be unthankful. And so she wrote this song. In times like these, I need a Savior. Y'all know that song? In times like these, I need an anchor. Be very sure. I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. That rock is Jesus. He's the one. That rock is Jesus, the only one. I'm very sure. I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Can you say that this morning? If you're not a Christian, Christ the hope of glory is not in you. But, it can, but He can be. And so in Galatians 3:26 26 and 27, we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ the hope of glory. And so we're going to sing a song of invitation. We're going to encourage you to get up out of that seat. And come and begin thanks living today. And for the rest of us that are Christians, I want to challenge you. I want you to take two action steps this week. Will you do that for me? Number one, make a list of things with God's help from which you have been weaned over the last 11 months. Things with God's help you have eliminated, you have removed from your life. Maybe it's been drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's been gossip. Uh, I don't know what it was. but, But you have been weaned from something that has hindered you from thanksgiving. And then secondly, take time to ask God to help you develop the traits of thankfulness in a thankless world. A humble heart, a holy contentment, and a hopeful trust. Yeah. Whatever your need spiritually this morning, we encourage you to make the decision for Christ. Maybe you need to turn from your sins as a Christian and repent and return to the Lord in faithful service we uh, asked you to make that decision right now as we stand and sing together